When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on the podcast today is Nathan Ott, co-founder and chief polisher at the GC Index. A lot of organizations would come to us and say, we need some people to make a change. We would sit down with them and use their traditional frameworks for assessing these people. And then they would say to us, these senior leaders, oh, just get me some people that get it. That started me thinking as what is this thing that everyone can, can recognize but, but can't explain? The things that the the business leaders were describing to us was was something different. They wanted people that were were different to what they were getting. And so we termed those individuals game changers. When the GC Index got formed as a language and a framework for impact, so it's it's a piece of software that aligns people's impact to business outcomes and roles. And that's when the magic really started to happen. This is Nathan. He has over 20 years of experience working with business leaders to get the best from their talent. He's the co-author of two studies, The DNA of a Game Changer and The DNA of a Game Changing Team, and published also Coaching Me and Coaching You. Today he's the vision and the driving force behind the GC Index. He has a fundamental belief that everyone can make an impact in their world, and has created a global community of GC partners and GCologists. They are working globally with a diverse range of commercial and not-for-profit organizations and help their clients understand how their employees can make an impact and help leaders create game-changing teams and cultures. The GC Index framework is disrupting the way people manage talent. It's not only being used to help individuals be the very best they can be, but it's liberating organizations to embed their diversity and innovation initiatives to impact tangible business outcomes. And that inspired me. And hence I invited Nathan to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the world of managing talent. Too often we look for someone's personality and academic background, rather than connecting people to business outcomes. And in particular, what type of outcomes people can have maximum impact. We also dive into ways how we can fix this challenge and deliver remarkable impact by blending people and technology in the right way. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, 
that too often we focus our software solutions on optimizing the impact of an individual doing a specific task, without looking at the exponential leverage they can create in a setting with the right people around them. Secondly, why it is key to make the distinction between innovation and invention. As a software business, you need to find that right balance in order to stay relevant in your category. Thirdly, why alignment and collaboration are key to create breakthroughs and how to orchestrate that by addressing the tensions in the boundaries. And fourthly, how one solution can be marketed through multiple business models concurrently. Well, hi Nathan, thank you for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Hi Tom, lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's an interesting journey how this became a podcast interview at the end. I was, of course, well, and of course, a little bit of background to this. I was approached by, by Lucy Brown, who became a partner of your organization. And she got me in, excited and interested in, in what you're doing as a company. So we're going to talk about that, the GC Index, which I actually took myself as well. And it was, it was an interesting outcome of that one. But before we start, talk about your company, a little bit about you, not about your whole history, but typically what would be the three words that describe you best as a person? And, and I think you're going in the direction of the GC index, but I'll leave it to you. Thank you, Tonna. As you, as you know, for me, that will be difficult to put that into three words. So I'm going to have to think about that. But I've always been described as driven, dedicated and dependable, I think, which I'm not quite sure what that makes up. But my background, I've always felt of a little bit different to my peers and the traditional approach to business, but I wasn't quite sure as to why. And, and I think you're right, the GC index journey has certainly helped that for me as well as others. So yeah. So yeah. Well, I mean, for sure, it's like the three interesting yeah, words there, at least all starting with a D. Yeah, it wasn't intended. <laughs> Maybe you also said something. Yeah, it probably does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you mentioned the, the GC index, the Game Changer Index, which gives it to me a lot more value, by the way, than GC index. That makes it a lot easier or interesting to talk about. Talking about the GC index, what is the big idea behind it and how did it all start? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I think, as we've mentioned before, I didn't have a, a big idea to, to start off with. It was a, a culmination of a number of things. So, so my background is helping organizations grow, you know, fundamentally, particularly in the, in the world of professional services and technology. Okay. And there are a number of culminating parts. A lot of organizations would come to us and say, we need some people to make a change, whether it's an operational improvement, whether it's a growth, a digital agenda. And so we would sit down with them and use their traditional frameworks for assessing these people. Normally it's a couple of hours of a briefing session. And then they would say to us, these senior leaders, oh, just get me some people that get it. We're like, well, this has been a bit of a waste of time then, these talent frameworks. Well, can you describe it to me, please? And then they would say, well, I know it's when I see it. I think, well, okay, well, this is not particularly helpful. So that started me thinking as what is this thing that everyone can, can recognize but, but can't explain? And, and at the same time, I spent a lot of time on the diversity inclusion circuit where I was often the only man at a, a gender diversity event. I was the only straight person at an LGBT event and the only white person at a BAME or red event. And I'm, so this got me thinking, why can't we look at people for the impact they bring to a role or, or an organization? 
And I think the things that the, the business leaders were describing to us was, was something different. They wanted people that were, were different to what they were getting. And so we termed those individuals game changers. That was the first part back in 2013. We set off looking for these individuals that we, that we termed game changers back then. Of course, the yeah. journey is very different, but that, that's how it started. Cool. Well, I mean, that's an interesting angle already. Of course, every business starts with something. So having defined those people that you branded game changers, what happened from there? Because I've seen that your company started officially in 2015. And knowing that you came from the professional services world, there must have been a a moment where you said, wait a minute, this is something that has a bigger potential, a bigger opportunity, and this needs to scale beyond my own hours. Oh, absolutely. So what we started off was back in 2013 was a piece of research, a piece of research looking into these individuals called game changers. That's what we did. We got together with a couple of academic institutions and did a very significant piece of research, always founded in the business world. We launched that DNA of a game changer in 2015, this piece of research, and it started to resonate with organizations. So we started to take that onto the circuit, speaking about it. And I think the pinnacle moment or a very significant moment was when we were at a, a telco conference. The TM Forum is the industry, one of the industry bodies for the global telecommunications world. And it was a conference with all CIOs, CTOs of big telcos, Vodafone, Orange, China Mobile, Verizon, you know, they're all there. And it was the group CIO of Orange at the time, Pascal, that stood up and said, this is really interesting. The GC index is based on a a framework of imagination and obsession. That's what underpins it. And Pascal said to us, he said, look, Nathan, this is really interesting. I work for Orange, but we're we're really France Telecom. And if I'm just going to find these game changers, it seems a bit elitist. And And it will seem elitist to my HR group. What happens if on your constructs of imagination, obsession, if you're not a game changer, what does it mean? And we sort of said, well, don't know really. We hadn't really looked for it. You know, so, so, that, so we were just looking for these game changers. And then what then happened is when we went back to the research and when we went back to another couple of years researching this, that's when the GC Index got formed as a language and a framework for impact. So it's a, it's a piece of software that aligns people's impacts to business outcomes and roles. And that's when the magic really started to happen, Tom. Yeah. It was that that moved us on. Yeah, I can imagine that one. Because everybody at the end has qualities that if you put them in the right spot in the right, at the right moment, these magical things can happen. It's just about knowing this, right? Exactly. And I think you know, what, what we set off looking for, for these game changers. And, and actually, when you think about it, it's a bit of a nonsense, really, that, you know, these organizations just want to put in, you know, cause let's go and get 10 Steve Job type people and then our organization is going to transform. You know, that's a nonsense. You know, y- yes, we need those individuals, but, you know, to move us on. But how, but obviously it takes everybody else to, to make a transformational change and how they contribute to that. And that's what the GC Index, that's what GC Index does. It gives businesses and organizations a language and a framework for aligning people, teams, organizations, business models, whatever it may be, to maximize the impact of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, what is the opportunity if we get this right? I mean, I saw a pretty bold video on your website talking about 7.7 billion people. <laughs> yeah. But still, you know, you got a point there. Yeah, well, you're, you're absolutely right. So when we had this aha moment, and I think even, even the earlier stages before that aha moment, I was saying 10% of the world's population. So that was the statement, you know, 10% of the 7.7. And people were, were laughing at me back then, you know, thinking I was just delusional. But they're not laughing now, Ton. And I think that's becoming a, a real reality because fundamentally what we're focused on is human impact. So our target market is any human being over the age of 11. We have a young people index version for, for 11 to 18 year olds. Same premise, just tailored for, for a younger audience. And, and really, we're, whether you are a Fortune CEO or a child in a developing country, you have an, an impact to make. And, and the GC index unleashes that for you through that framework. And, and we're seeing it happen. So people aren't laughing at me as much as they were five years ago. Ton, I think, is the only credence I can give to my bold ambition. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you make a point about like the framework. I mean, I've done a lot of those, a lot of those. I mean, I've done a couple of those personality frameworks, for example, Briggs Myers, what is it, Insight I've done. And that provides me with an, yeah, an indication about who I am, what I am, where I perform best. So how is this different? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things there. Firstly, the GC index is an organometric. It is a piece of software. It's a, we're a software and data company. And it's an organometric, not a psychometric. So it's an organization okay. metric. And it doesn't measure personality. In the world of, certainly the Western world and probably the corporate world globally, we've been seduced by this, this world of personality, which is useful. It's a useful data point for individuals to understand a bit more about themselves, be introspective, understand other people. But it doesn't connect people to business outcomes. It doesn't connect people to how they approach work. And that's what the GC index does. We use it often in association with personality tools because we're measuring different things. Let me give you two examples. I'm quite a simple guy. I mean, I've got very clever academic and business people around me, which is probably one of the big learnings. But I'm a simple guy and I like I like sport. And actually, I like football. It's a very simple sport to me. And, and I get told off for making sporting analogies. But I like football. It's a very simple sport. Your team's got to put the ball in that goal and you've got to stop the other team putting the ball in your goal. That's it. Now, when you look at it, those football managers don't sit there and go, do you know what will make this team great? You know, it'll be a, an ENTJ, an ISTP, a, a sunshine yellow, someone diligent, someone extroverted, introverted. Uh-huh. You don't say that. Not in the first instance. I mean, obviously, some of that is very useful so, but not in the first instance when they're putting that team together, they say, give me someone to score goals, give me someone to defend goals, and give me someone to create play, and let's all work together. And that's yeah. what the DC Index does in business terms. It's what needs to be done here and how we're going to align people to the role and the impact they make to that. And I think the last piece I would say is talking to one of the directors of a big global technology company, said to me last year said Nathan I love MBTI I brought MBTI into the business into my region and I've had it for 10 years and we've got some value out of it got some good benefits out of it however I've never made a business decision using MBTI I use I use the GC index to make business decisions every day so I think that's just the difference yeah does that make sense 
Makes total sense. Makes total sense. And now that I understand, I've done it myself, I understand also what the difference is and it, it makes complete sense now. And recommend it to everybody to start using it because that's where impact starts. So just to get a little bit of a mental picture to people listening to this podcast, how is the GC index, what is it made of? Can you get a little bit of more of the, into the details? Yeah, of course. Some people are very visual. I'm very, a very visual person. So you'd have to see, see the model, but it's a very simple model. There, there are five core, what we call proclivities. Proclivities are an inclination to make an impact. And people make an impact in, in three core ways, really, either through ideas, tasks, you know, getting things done, getting things done well, or through people, or a combination thereof. So we have two core ideas focused proclivities. One is one we'll call the game changer, hence the GC index, which stands for the game changing index, not not game changer index. And that's very important. But game changers want to make an impact through ideas, through possibilities, doing things differently. You know, they can sometimes be seen as unrealistic um, to many. Whereas the other side of the idea spectrum is strategists. And the strategists are ideas, want to contribute through ideas, but in a much more linear concrete way they, they like to see patterns trends how things fit together so you know and it doesn't have to be a McKinsey strategist or a Harvard MBA this could just simply be a, a, a doctor looking for patterns and trends to predict you know a diagnosis for family therapy yeah. it could be that now you can start to see how they come together it's all very well having these individuals with wonderful new ideas and moving us on and possibilities but if they don't make sense i.e. the strategist, then they just get lost by the wayside and just become a, a delusional idea. Then below the line, if when you look at our model, we have task-focused proclivities and we have the implementer. So implementer is about getting things done. They just want to achieve, get on with it, move to action, stop thinking, just do it. Yeah, type, type stuff. So again, very good at making ideas a reality, moving us to action. And then the other side, of the task focus spectrum is what we call the polisher, which is again about action. But whereas implementers would say, let's just do it, a polisher would say, if a job is worth doing, it's worth doing properly. So they're very much about obsessive action. And I think in the model as well, it's really important, particularly for maybe some of your, your, your listeners here, is we distinguish between innovation and invention. And I think that's really important because we see a lot of organizations confusing the two. So polishers are very innovative, incremental improvements. Let's move this on. iPhone 3 to iPhone 4 to iPhone 5, that type of stuff. Whereas game changers are inventive. The first iPhone. Yeah, they're very different ways of seeing how people contribute. And then finally, we have individuals or proclivity that, that doesn't seek to dominate in ideas or tasks. We have probably our biggest discovery, actually, is what we call the playmaker. And playmakers do not seek to dominate through ideas or through tasks, but genuinely through people. Now, this is not what we're used to, where people have to be socially skilled or politically correct or emotionally intelligent. That's not what this is about. This is about people who genuinely believe that if we get the relationships right, everything else will follow. And I've had a lovely conversation today with one client where a bunch of their playmakers are introverted and, you know, it was, they're just seen as introverts, but actually, no, they're playmakers. And an introverted playmaker is very different to an extroverted playmaker. You know, it's that belief system. 
So it's a high level business model. Yes, we need ideas, new ideas to move us on, create new ideas, game changer. An idea doesn't make any sense. It's just a, a waste of time, you know, so we need to make sense of it. Has it fit in with our business strategy, structure, strategists? An idea, however elegant it is, which is pointless, we've got to go and do something with it or it just remains an idea. We make it the best it can be and we all make sure we're, we're working together as a group to maximize the impact. Let me make a small interruption here. Nathan just highlighted an essential criteria to enable his customers and his own business to create remarkable impact by finding the optimal blend to not only constantly evolve the path of setting the new norms, but execute with precision at the same time. Failing to do so, ideas will just remain ideas. This is a key trait remarkable software companies master. They know how to surprise the market like no one else. They create new value possibilities rather than improve existing ones. They deliver it with excellence by focusing on the essence and they aim to be different, not just better. These are traits that you can learn as well. And to get started, I'd recommend you to read my book or to listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can find it on amazon.com. You can also check where your business stands on the scale of one to five stars that define a remarkable software business. You can find this online assessment on valueinspiration.com slash remarkable index. Back to the interview. Yeah, and then it comes down to the organization. Yeah, what capabilities do you need to have in your team and who is going to bring that? And I mean, one of the things that I learned from this as well, doing the index myself, was that, of course, it's not that you are only one thing. Right. You, you typically have capabilities in, in all quadrants. Yeah. Just a couple of them might be more obvious or more available. Yeah, exactly. It depends on what's required. At the time, and I mean, I'll, I'll use my football analogy again. Okay, I might want to be a striker. That might be my strongest proclivity, an impact to score goals, yeah? Does it mean I can't play in defence? Does it mean I can't play in midfield? I'll do it if I have to, yeah? Okay, don't leave me in there all the time, but, you know, I'll do it if I have to. But I really actually want to impact the team by, by scoring goals. And, yeah. and, and, and that's the point. And I think it's going to be really useful for some of your listeners that are growing businesses and you know, same thing with my businesses a lot of startups entrepreneurs tech businesses tend to often start on the right hand side of our model so that game changer polisher strategist mode yeah it's really quite heavy it's new ideas we're doing something radically different we've got to get it ready for launch and we've got to and then as they start to scale they have to move much more over to that strategist implementer polisher to actually then it's about scale, it's about market segmenting, it's about getting finance, it's about leading a bigger group of people. It's all that stuff. So you start seeing business growth in, in, in that model as well, which is very useful to, to people. True. So that's, and that's also where you need a different mix of people and people with yeah, capabilities that are different from when you started. I completely agree with that. Interesting. So, I mean, talking about how this all became a technology business, being you being a tech entrepreneur on a mission, as I would call you. Yeah. I mean, in that journey, the journey from 2015 onwards, what do you believe have you done has been a, a decision where the product has now become what it is today? What, what has been a fundamental decision on that that made the product or the whole experience remarkable? Yeah, I mean, it's been a journey... It has been a journey led by, by our clients, by businesses. It's not something we have yeah. created. Our partners and businesses have moved us on. I think the most significant learning, however, came at the beginning of 
2018. So we started the research in 2013. It was great. We, we launched the research in 2015. It started to resonate. We launched the business and the product fully in 2017. Yeah, so that, that's when it really started going out. By the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, you know, it just went crackers. Yeah, and we had so many clients and partners and it was getting a bit too much for me. And, and understanding myself as a leader, I'm, I'm a game changer polisher and I, and I know what I'm very good at, but I'm not particularly strategic. And this was getting too big for me. It was very obvious to me how it was going to pan out, but people couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand me. And I was getting frustrated with them. Yeah, my team, my people around me, and they were getting frustrated with me. So we made a very significant effort to go and bring someone into the business. So a guy called Simon Edrington, who was a client when he was at SAP on, on the UK board of SAP, and he just checked out with a business called Sitecore. He was the UK CEO that, that sold that. And that was significant because to play to my strengths, I, I wasn't the individual that was going to scale this business. Yeah, it's not, it's not how I work. It's not where my energies are. It's not where my, you know, where I'm, you know, where I want to be. And it was just great because Simon is a strategist implementer. He's got a corp, more corporate background. And he said, what do you need me to do? And I said, well, the first thing I need you to do, Simon, is just spend two days in a room with me, unloading my head and put it into something that, that, that people understand. And yeah. I can talk about a bit more about that. It's interesting. So I have three core business models in my head that everyone thought was a bit confusing. And then well, over a period of three, four months, Simon got that strategy implement to put it all down into a new go-to-market model, which was scalable and something I never would have done. And that then the combining my co-founder, Dr. John Mervyn Smith, myself, and then Simon as a trilogy with a great team behind us is really what's, what's fueled the growth. And, and I think that was the real bit for us is getting the right person to help us scale this business at the right yeah. time. I was going to throw it all in the bin, Tom. I was getting that frustrated and being that frustrating. Seriously. <laughs> well, I mean, it proves again how your model works, that if you have the right mix of people, almost like yeah, it's creating a dish and without certain components, it's just not good enough and it won't fly. And we've often said, I mean, Simon said, look, if I didn't have the GC index, I'd never work with you, like me, because I can be that difficult and yeah. uh, really. And I said, I- I'd never work with you either because I find you boring. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but through, but through, yeah. But that's also where it's where it comes it comes about. It becomes uh, exactly. It takes personality out of it. We value what each other brings, and yeah. we're great friends. And because we value each other, uh, that approach to work level, and you know, but we exactly. you can see how we'd frustrate each other if it was based around personality. And it's been great. If you look at your customers who are applying this model, I mean, what you typically see in organizations that are growing and growing, I mean, you, you create hierarchies, you create departments, department become silos, people work in the silo. Do you see that your companies start to break that apart through this model where you say, hey, for this particular project, we need this mix. It's that yeah. person and that person and that person, for example. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so that's why it's called an, an organometric. So, because it is around making organizational decisions, whatever, whatever they may be. And I can give you some very concrete examples. Firstly, as a business, we're a wholly partner-driven business. So we currently have 130 partners now around the world. And they range from big global consultancy organizations who you all know of, yeah, the big names, 
right yep. down to independent practitioners, whether that's around leadership or around advisory for business yep. and everything in between. So exactly. we're wholly partner-led. So our whole ethos is to make our partners look good. Yeah, And that's not, it's not selfless as it sounds, because if we make our partners look good, then obviously they're going to be very faithful to the GC index and carry on embedding it into their solutions. What you're saying there is absolutely right. We tend to start off at a senior leadership team alignment. And what then happens is that leadership team says, oh, this data will be great for my next layer below. So they use the data for the next 100 and their teams. And then they'll say, oh, this, I need this data great across my whole organization because it does what you've just said. It connects organization. So there's often tensions between the boundaries within divisions or teams. And yeah, exactly. Also, you know, you've got, an, in a tech business, you'll have an innovation team, you know, who then got to go and talk to a very creative and looking at new ways. And you've got a product team. They've got to try and make that a reality. Yeah. And then, and then you'll have a deployment team that have actually got to get it onto a network or get it into, you know, commission. And they talk different languages. Yeah. Completely. You know, and then they go, Oh, the innovation team are delusional. Yeah. Don't they realize we've got to get, you know, we've got to make a product out of this unrealistic and the product team will might be seen as, Oh, they're always breaking down our ideas. The innovation team might say, and they're no good. They don't get us. So it, it could be anything. Yeah, it could be any, 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 but what you're able to do through showing the, the two different teams on the inter-team stuff is go, look, this is the value they bring. We want our innovation team to be creative, right? Okay, we, that's what we want. Okay, but this is how you then translate what needs to be done with the, the product team and, and then, then for the delivery team. So it's around about those tensions in the boundaries and it's not, a, it's not about personality. It's about, look, True. we're in together we want this organization to be successful. We're all valued. Yeah. We're all good at what we do. Okay. So let's make sure that we, we align ourselves on a framework of impact and contribution to the common goal and, and value each other for that. You know, yeah. that's what it is. If, if that, if that's helpful. Sorry, I'll, I'll appreciate it. No, no, that's completely helpful. What intrigued me about your point earlier on where you said, well, the, the change that I made is, is to not rely on myself, but actually get someone into, in the business, your partner there. What made it take off? What were the things that you changed to your business to make it take off? Is that business model change? Is that, was it anything else? It was really the putting the business out for scale because the way that I had created it, because we didn't know if this would work. You know, we were getting lots of real interest, but, and I, let me just go back a step because I had in my mind three concurrent business models, okay, for the GC index. In my mind, I had, the big one was the Intel inside model. Okay, so we are, the GSIN is a piece of data and a language that powers solutions for our clients or for our partners. So we didn't want to be, you know, right up front. We're quite happy being that little sticker on a laptop, whether it's a Dell laptop, a MacBook Pro, doesn't matter. We're, we're quite happy to be that, that powered by sticker like Intel. Uh-huh. So that was the first thing. The second thing was I had the community platform play model in my head. So Uber type stuff you know so you know uber or, or just e or whatever delivery type stuff but it's really a platform that rather than being taxis our taxi firms or drivers were our consultants you know, so it's a place where it would drive them business and drive them revenue through connectivity or leads whatever it might be yeah. and the third one was the herbal life business model which is a product that drives services so if i'm a herbal life representative and i'm a 
PT instructor. I'm a delicatessen. I'm a gym. I'm using herbal life to bring in and pull through services. So that's kind of, as you can see, it sounds a bit delusional sometimes, right? And a bit incongruent. But that's what I always had in my mind. And put it, Simon basically just come and put that into our model. So we now have that, all those three business models running concurrently in our go-to-market strategy. Yeah, we have yeah. our partners are embedding the GCNs into their own solutions. So it's they are the experts. They're the expert. They're the, they're the ones with all the expertise. The GCNs is, is that data point. So it's their solutions are powered by the GC index. You'll see that on their website. We have our global community, and you'll see how we represent our partners on the website and drive leads for them. That's the community play. And we also have the Herbal Life model running not only for the product to pull through services model, but also we have the introduction model as well. We have a partner introduction model, which drives revenue for, for, for partners as well. Yep. So, it, And that's, I think before Simon came in, we were a, a very passionate cottage industry mm-hmm. around about 30 different countries. <laughs> but now aligning all of that into one go-to-market model has really been the, the key success. And, and that's, where it's, that's where it started to take off. Interesting. In the right way of the word, because sometimes I say interesting. I mean, I was, I was pointed at that recently, but that's a diff- completely different story. But yeah, it's interesting how you can actually blend together three different business models into one and make that something that makes you unique. And that, that's what I'm always looking for. I think it's out, I mean, the GC Index is a fantastic piece of data, piece of software. Fantastic. It really is. And it, we know it's market leading. We know it's market changing. We, we know that. And that's not being... Yeah. That's you know, not, not being, being arrogant, it's, it's what we've been told. But I think for me, the, the key power to the GC is, is the partner model. It yeah. is a win-win-win partner model. So we call it win-cubed. And it's a, our, our clients win, our partner wins, and we win. Yeah, and concurrently. And I think that's, that's what's becoming quite powerful is, is, is the partner model. Interesting, again. And that's what's... Yeah, I mean, I'm, in my book, The Remarkable Effects... I'm talking about creating momentum. And I think that's the secret sauce here, that when you get to a point where you create a win-win-win, you create a snowball, and a snowball starts to get bigger and bigger and become more and more unstoppable. That's a very interesting concept and something that, yeah, you should always try to kind of build into your business. So what did you learn from, from introducing this to the market then? I mean, have you made any changes? Did certain things turn out different from what you expected? Again, I've always seen it. I mean, always, I can see where, well, I can see or hope, depending on how delusional you think I am, but I can see and hope where this is going. I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is making it easy for people to understand and understand and so they can, so they can benefit from it. So we're going through a, lot, a big process at the moment where a lot of our partners don't necessarily understand the full power of our model. Uh-huh. That might have been back down to the, the communication that I was giving back in the early day and that communication should have been a bit better because it's, it's still intriguing when we sit down with partners that have been with us for, for a couple of years and they sit there and go, wow, I, I didn't know we could do all of this. Now, and I think part of that is we're moving so quickly. So a lot of these things are moving. So it's very difficult to keep communications up with all partners. I think that's, that's one big challenge. But it's starting all to fall into place. So what I can see in my, I can see in my mind is, is being able to practically fall into place, which has been really rewarding. And we often say 95% of the ways the GC index can be used is we don't even know yet. 
So we're getting partners <laughs> on a daily basis coming back to us going, it'll be good here. Can we use it here? I think I'm going to use it here. And, yeah. and that's really rewarding. And that's really exciting, actually. So does that, does that answer your question? Well, yeah. I mean, and it also kind of creates another question again, because one of the things that I completely believe in, indeed, that you have to get right from the start is communication. Yeah. Being super clear about what problem you're solving. So what have you changed in that process in order to make it super clear and for people to say, I get it instantly? Yeah, well, if you've got any magic bullets about how to communicate, that'll be great because, <laughs> because I think that's an area that we're really working on very hard. I think where we're... So there's two elements of communication there. One is, one is to our partners, which because you know, the model is really has is, is been evolving and the benefits to them are huge, they probably didn't see before. We, we've been a big process of making sure that they, our partners understand the value that we can get from us. And I think that's, you can see the aha moments and the lights flicking on going, wow, this is really, we can really benefit from this. And, and that, that's rewarding, but that's, that's taking time. I think the broader piece that we're changing is because we've, we've moved in the last two years from, does this work? Will people like it? Yeah, so we've been, a lot of our communication messaging is around selling a promise. Yeah. So we're young, we're exciting, it's new, and you know, we've got a great brand that people want to be associated with, and we've been selling a promise. Now we're, we've sort of been running this in organizations for two or three years. The communication is moving, yep, still selling a promise and the intrigue and, and you know, the dream, but it's now moving to selling a result as well, communicating the result. Yeah. And that's, that, that is really good. The moment you start combining those, you know, addressing the problem, selling the result, and of course, also something like, okay, this, but this is where it will bring you. And so that's the North Star that you, uh, that you connect, with, connect to that. Yeah, and, and that's my big, that's my, so we've been giving ourselves, the three of us, myself, Simon and John, the sort of the, the day-to-day directors and founder in the business, we've got ourselves three core, one each, one big thing this year each. And, and, and mine is around that communication piece, shifting it from a promise to just a promise to a promise and a result. The other element is, which which. John is looking after is the data. We're getting lots and lots of really interesting macro data now, which our partners and clients really want to use for benchmarking or understanding. Yeah, I was going to say that. So that yeah. We call ourselves a software and data company. So that's that piece. And Simon is, is very much clear around making sure that the, the business model is landing within, within clients and sorry, yeah. within partners, again, making sure it's really cemented that communication. So there are three big things this year, which, which, should shift the needle again next year for us. It's always yeah, important to have the strategic projects to keep the thing moving forward. Yeah. So what are you most proud of? Talking about results, what, what anecdote do you have of a customer? I mean, you don't have to name the customer, but what is a, an example that you keep talking about? There are hundreds, I think. But the... Lucky you. Yeah, well, I know. It, it really is. There are hundreds on, on a, and it, it, it's on a daily basis. I'm trying to think one that might resonate most with your audience i think i'm not in this for 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 money right so i'm not a, i'm not a money person i mean i think our, our main focus particularly for myself and john obviously there's there's as we get bigger there's more commercial interest from others right but we're very much around i want to create a legacy yeah i want to change the way that we look at people and in the world or in, certainly in our organizations yeah. and that's really poignant particularly what's going on the last week yeah it's everyone's give everyone a level playing field to maximize their impact i think that's what's really driving me and we we change people's lives every day you know when people go to us oh thank you so much 
that's been really helpful. I've been worrying about this for the last 20 years and this has changed the way that, you know, I value myself or, you know, I value others. And so they're, they're the bits that are really interesting to me. And, but commercially, it's when you sit with dysfunctional leadership teams and they're really struggling and you unlock it through the GCNX yeah. framework. Yeah. And they go, look, we never would have had that conversation yeah, without the GC index. We never would have got to that result of alignment without the GC index. You know, we never would have changed our organization so quickly you know, without the GC index. So it's, that, it's those types of things from a commercial. I can imagine. And just yeah. because I know you're doing a lot of CEOs and, and that's your world. When we get into dysfunctional teams or, or senior teams, that notion of alignment is really the bit that we unpick through the language. It unlocks that alignment so everyone's aligned because historically leadership teams have battled with each other or disagreed with each other and it's been, oh, framed, yeah. it's been framed in personality. And that's not helpful. When you take the ego and the personality out of it and have the debate around how do we best contribute the business and get aligned to best contribute the business, it just unlocks so much. And that's really the stuff that is so, when you sit back and just watch it happen, it's great. It's great. I completely agree on that. And I really like that you're pointing out that you're not in there for the money. And that's also something that is really high on, on myself as well. The moment you help your customers create a difference and make a bigger impact, that value will come to you and likely in bigger chunks than you could possibly imagine because that's where it starts to sing for you. And a lot of companies forget that. You know, At some point, I actually wrote a blog about it this morning. They, they changed from, from that initial mindset about the big idea and creating something that founded the company and to get the thing rolling. And then it starts to grow and the focus starts to shift to the numbers, to the bottom line, to the top line, to the quarter. And that's where it's lost. And you can become complacent. So yeah. I applaud for that. And it's, so, it's, really, sorry, it's really interesting you say that because obviously building a business, it must be commercially viable really because yeah, sure and it's really interesting because I've, I've spoken a lot about simon and bringing simon in to grow the business to make it a commercial success make it a global brand and and that's starting to happen and it's interesting now that our dynamic is my my job is to make sure that we don't tip that commercial edge too much because we'll lose everything that we've we've got so it's about exactly. maintaining that. And that's often where a lot of our debates happen. I mean, he'll say something to me, I'll write something and he'll say, well, if I was a business leader, I've got no value from that. You know, I wouldn't read it, you know, as a business commercial leader. I said, yeah, but that's fine. But, but as a person, you might have done. As a father, you might have done. Yeah, as yeah. someone. And, and it's that type of debate we have really. It's really interesting to see how that's happening as the business grows. So, so yeah, I... I it's, I don't know why I've said that, but you just prompted me to think about it that way. And, and <laughs> Well, it's, it's about at the end, it's where purpose comes in. And yeah, I mean, at the end, it's about customer impact. And if customer impact is correct and done the right way, people see that and believe that what you're doing is something they couldn't achieve on their own. And you're doing that in a way that exceeds their expectation. They start talking about it. That's how I came to write the book, The Remarkable Effect. Because that's an effect that you cannot stop. It's hard to stop because people want to talk about it without you asking them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the kind of connecting to my book, it's about the secret to build remarkable software business. I mean, you have created a business. What would you advise leaders 
that are on the verge of creating something or already starting, what would you say, do this or don't do this in order to create something remarkable? Oh, I mean, I don't think I'm in a position necessarily to ask advice. You know, there is the basic stuff of if you believe in something and you, you think it's right, then you've got to keep doing it. You're going to have a lot of people that are going to have, have told me over the last five years what I should be doing and I haven't done it. I've ignored it because everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. And I think it's just stick for me anyway. It was, I listen to the opinions, I take them, but I very rarely do anything about them. And unless I find a good one, then I will. But I think there's, there's a lot of people that are going to tell you how to run your business. You've got to try and stick true to yourself. But that's, that's kind of a bit management speak, you know, that that's, you'll, you'll, you'll see that on a LinkedIn post anywhere. I think for me is I probably have underestimated how slow it has been to get to this phase. I've been quite impatient around it. And you, 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 you get to the end of 2017 and it's all going really, really, really well. And there's a load of interest and then there's another stage. Now we've got to make note. Then there's another stage, another stage. And I think just patience as well. I've been extraordinarily impatient, which I thought would happen a lot quicker. And I think that's the bit for me. But other people might not, you know, not think that. But for me, it's yeah, be a bit more patient. It won't happen as quickly as you think. Well, I mean, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. That was a much more succinct way of saying it. <laughs> Well, but at the end, it's like the persistence that you need to have in order to, and, and the belief in, in that, that the big thing that you're after, that it that is right, you know? Um, yeah. That's where I think where the, where the balance needs to be. Yeah, and we do see this a lot with founders, and you probably see this, where I know I'm not, I'm not the CEO of a big business. I know that, and I've come to that. But you, you do get some founders that want to hang on, and they're not necessarily the, the right people for the business. So I call myself the chief polisher. Not yeah, the CEO yeah. on purpose because because the expectation of of me to be a CEO of the business will be to set direction, have the plan, and talk to finance, you know, make sure everyone knows what they're doing. And that's not me. I don't don't like that. So it's a little bit like you know, I mean, not that I'm aligning myself to him, but it's as an example, you know, Bill Gates would call himself chief software architect. You know, yeah, James yeah. Dyson is not the He's not the CEO of Dyson. You know, it's understanding what you're really good at to get the business to that stage and then find someone you trust to scale it for you and still add value in, in, in doing what you're good at rather than being bogged down yeah. in, in bits you're not good at. We're, we're thinking alike there. I mean, I didn't call myself CEO when I started my company or founder. I called myself Chief Inspiration Officer. Yeah. And that's what I'm, good to, what I'm good at. So do what you do best and where it gives you most energy. That's what I believe in. So, yeah, I mean, we're could go on for hours on, on this talk because I like the topic, but where can people go and find more about GC Index and to connect with you to say hi? Yeah, well, the easiest place they can ask you. I mean, that's one. The second one is the easiest place to go then is thegcindex.com. That's the best place. If you just Google the GC Index through something like LinkedIn, you, you're bound to find someone that you know that's either a partner or a GCologist or taking it, so have a chat with them. Or contact me directly on, on LinkedIn is always a good place. So there's, you know, we're, in a, we're in a connected world these exactly. days. And we're very well published, very well publicized, very easy to get to. So whichever medium is best for people, we're, we're very happy to, to receive inquiries. Very good. Well, thank you very much, uh, Nathan. I like this call. I like the way you are building the business, the ideas behind it. 
And yeah, I've just spoke talking to you. And you, Tom. And thank you very much for this and, and keeping me on track, as you would have said. Free associated all day, but thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And this ends my interview with Nathan. I hope you enjoyed it. We'd highly appreciate your feedback. So please leave a comment on my website or do a review on iTunes. And if you liked it and got inspired by it, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Nathan Ott, co-founder and CEO of the GC Index. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.